You know, few people make a bigger impact on children's lives in this world um, as they're growing up than their mothers, right? The truth of the matter is, is uh, and, and I looked at the statistics, I didn't write them down, but the mother spends a, quite a bit more time with the children than the father does. Now, today's culture is a little bit different because of the fact that, you know, we, we live in a, different, in a different culture. Me and my wife, we both work. Even still, my wife still probably spends more time because of my work schedule with, um, with our son than, than I get to spend with him. And I, I really believe that if we were to go back to God's original design, and I'm not against women in the workforce, all right, for y'all feminists in here that want to throw rocks at me, all right? I'm not against women in the workforce. If that were the case, why is my wife working, right? So I'm not against women in the workforce. But you would have to agree with me that when you look at the family unit, you know, I really believe that God designed this thing for uh, the father to be the primary provider of the household and for the mother to be the primary caregiver of the household. Now again, when you go back to Proverbs 31, and for those of you that are familiar with the Bible and you know those scriptures, you will also see that the Proverbs 31 woman was a home, uh, homemaker, but at the same time, she was a businesswoman too, all right? And so I'm not saying that, that they can't do both. But I am saying that God puts something special in a mother. God puts something special in a mother that, that she provides for the children that, fathers, we can't, we can't give it. We can do our best and we can help try to... Re and sometimes we have no choice in this world. But God designed the family to be a father and a mother. And a mother uh, plays one role in these children's lives, and a father plays a completely different role. For my life, my mama, I was a mama's boy. For, 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 for my life, my mama was the one that I went to when, when I needed a hug. And, and my mama's the one I went to when I needed comfort and I wanted love and, and I, I wanted somebody to scratch my back. I love my mama to scratch my back. Can I get an Amen. Love my mama to scratch. If I wasn't a grown man and didn't think it was weird, I'd ask my mama this week, will you scratch my back? <clears throat> but I didn't do it. I wanted to, though. But few people in the world will make the kind of impact on children that a mother will make. And so um, I I'm so thankful that we have a day that we set aside just to recognize the part that you play in children's lives. And so today I want to look at a very special mother in the Scripture that we don't really get a lot about her from the Scriptures, but we get enough to see the impact that she made on her children as a godly, uh, faithful woman and the impact that she made on the world through her children. Not just one child, but all of her children. And so that's our goal today. We want to be able to see that. But before we go any further, would you pray with me one more time? Father, I just want to say thank you again, Lord, for um, blessing us with gifts of, of mothers, Lord. God, I thank you for my mom. God, I thank you for the part that she played in my life and my, my sister's lives, God. And Father, I thank you for the things that she taught us. Lord, even though this is a cursed world, and Father, I know everybody don't, don't have the same thing that I had, but, but Father, I still say thank you, God, that in this cursed world, you blessed, you blessed us with mothers. Father, I thank you for, for mothers today that are playing the role that, Lord, they didn't have to play. But Lord, they chose to play that role as mother just to, just to be obedient to you, Father. To love another one of your children. 
And Father, I just pray this morning that, um, Lord, we are able to do two things. Father, I want to honor mothers. And Father, at the same time, I want to honor you. Father, you are the one that every gift that you give us, Father, it all points back to you. It's just a reflection of your goodness. And Father, I just pray this morning that at the end of it all, whenever we see any good in mothers around us, Father, that we're able to look back to you and see that, Lord, all the, even the best mother that we could possibly see in this world, Lord, it is still only a cursed image of the kind of God that you are the way that you love us, the way that you comfort us, the way that you care for us. And Father, I just pray that at the end of it all, we're able to bring you honor and glory and worship you. Father, just help us in this message today to accomplish your purpose. Lord, it's your word. Father, we can't even understand it unless you open our eyes to it, unless you give us a heart to receive it. And so, Father, we ask you that you would do that through your Holy Spirit this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. And we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got an outline this morning, um, you can go along with me on that. I usually try to follow close along with that. And it's also something that you're able to take home with you so that, you know, it's hard to remember everything I say, right? Let's be honest. But if I give you the main points, then hopefully you'll be able to go home and you'll be able to look through those and you'll be able to actually find a way that this Word of God applies to your life. And that's my goal. If all I'm here for this morning is entertainment, I wish you'd just fire me and y'all would go home. Let's just go home and watch football, all right? But if what you want here this morning is to hear from God, and what you want is to become a disciple of His, then that is why we give you the things that we give you, so that you're able to take that home with you and find a way that this Word applies to you. But you'll notice that on your outline it says, the role of mothers is vital in our society. Indeed, John Adams, our, uh, one of our founding fathers, the second president of the United States, and also, it's going to be important for you to know this later in the message, he was also the founder of our United States Navy. And so this was a military man. This was a man that knew good men. And he knew bad men. He'd seen all kinds of them. But look what he says about this. He said, It is by the female world that the greatest and best characters among men are formed. I have long been of this opinion to that... I have long been of this opinion to such a degree that when I hear of an extraordinary man, whether he be good or bad, I naturally inquire... Who was his mother? Today, we're going to study a woman who because of the faith that she had in God, because of the trust that she had in His promises, she impacted the entire world for good because of the children that she raised and because of the way that she trusted God. Her name is Jochebed. And again, we're, we don't know much about her. The Scriptures do not say a whole lot. But she's introduced to us in the book of Exodus. Um, she's... She's known as um, the mother of Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, respectively in that order. Miriam was the oldest of her children. That was Moses' sister, of course, his oldest one. And I don't know for sure. I think, if I remember correctly, she may have been somewhere around nine years old, I think, when Moses was born. 
But then Aaron was the second one. And we know from Scripture that Aaron was three years older than Moses. And so he would have been three years old when Moses is born. So that gives you a little bit of an age timeline of her children as we study her for um, the next few minutes. But she was a Levite, which is the priestly tribe. And she was married to another Levite. And so what I want to be, to be able to see here today is that this is a godly family. This is a family that knows the promises of God. This is a family that knows the Word of God. And this is a family that likely, as we're going to see from the evidence of her children's raising, this is a family that actually were obedient to God. They weren't just church-going people. They were people that actually practiced faith in their lives. And as a result of that, we're going to be able to see that it changed their kids and the way that they became as men and women in this world. I also said here that I wanted to dedicate this sermon to another godly woman that I was hoping might be able to be in our midst today, but Mima was not able to be here today. But I'm going to say some things about her in this sermon, even though she's not here, because I truly believe she really does provide an example in today's time of the same thing that Jochebed did here with her children. And so I'm going to mention some of those things as we go through it. I want you to be able to look at the outline. I'll give you an outline. Again, we're in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. And the first thing I want to look at in Jochebed's life is her courage. Now, look at verse 23 with me as we read it together. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. Now listen. I want to look at that and say, come on, come on, man. Now listen, because the reason I want to say that is because he gets this from the book of Exodus. Now, do you know who wrote the book of Exodus? Who wrote it? So Moses wrote about himself here. <laughs> My mama hid me for three months because I was what? I was beautiful. Now, don't that just sound like the favorite child right there? Uh, and so, it, it, I get tickled when I read this right here. But here's the thing you need to understand. We translate it as beautiful. Uh, there are some other ways that other versions translate it. Um, special. But anyway, here's, we don't really understand exactly what is meant by this. But one thing we know for certain is that when Jochebed and I believe her husband's name was Amram, when they looked at Moses they saw something different about this child. There was something extraordinary about this child. They had had Miriam, and don't you know, how many of you know there, there's nothing like daddy's little girl? Right? Anybody got, any daddies in here got little girls? Nothing like daddy's little girl, right? But there is something about this child that when Amram and Jochebed looked at Miriam, Miriam was beautiful, daddy's little girl. When Jochebed and Amram looked at Aaron, Aaron is mama's boy. But there is something different about this child that when they look at him, they say, I don't know why, I can't explain it, but God has given us this child for some kind of a special reason and a special purpose. It wasn't just that they looked at their baby and said, Oh, he is so beautiful. 
No, instead it was that they looked at this child and said, we've been waiting since the Garden of Eden on the seed of the woman. Y'all remember that prophecy? The woman's seed is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And every Jewish woman from that moment on has been looking to the Lord and praying and asking, God, please give us a male child. You know, this is the reason why a male child was so important to Jewish women. It wasn't that they didn't like girls. No, women like, like little girls. They like having daughters. But the point of it was is that they were each waiting on the coming salvation of the Lord. Go back and read Genesis, I think it's somewhere in chapter 4, but um, basically whenever Cain kills Abel and Eve becomes pregnant again with Seth, she looks and she praises God and she says, I thank God because He has given me another man. Another man from the Lord. Ultimately, she's thinking to herself, we're waiting on the coming seed. We thought either Cain or Abel was going to be it, but it can't be Cain. Why? He's killed Abel. It can't be Abel. Why? Abel's dead. So now what do we do? And then all of a sudden she finds out I'm pregnant with another child and she has a baby boy. And she says, I thank God because maybe this is the seed. Maybe this is the one that's coming. This is the reason why people like Hannah in the, the book of 1 Samuel, they would cry out to God with everything in them because they were unable to have a child because in that day and time it thought they were cursed. They were cursed because God is not going to give me the opportunity to be able to bring the seed, the one that is coming to destroy the head of the serpent and so for a mother to not be able to bear a child, there is something that God has put in her that, that it, it breaks her. And this is exactly what you see that's being dealt with with the women of old all throughout the Bible as you read it. But here, whenever Jochebed looks at Moses, she understands maybe this is the one. There's something special about this child. And because of that, we're going to see the courage that she has. Let me give you just a little bit of history. You might remember that uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 11 of them decided that they didn't like their favorite brother that the father favored so much. And so they uh, threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery into Egypt. He ends up in Egypt. God blesses him. He, he, uh, long story short, he ends up as the king of Egypt, correct? And so then um, God uses him to, to store up food in Egypt and then the great famine hits the entire world and through Joseph God saves both Egypt, other nations and ultimately the nation of Israel so that his brothers have to come to him and get food from him. Again, long story short, the entire nation of Israel ends up in Egypt. And then 400 years later, another king arises that does not know Joseph and does not know the, the, the salvation that he brought to Egypt through his leadership. And so here we have another Pharaoh that rises up. Thank you, brother. And he loads these Israelites that are in his land. Why? Because they're multiplying and they're becoming even greater than the Egyptians. And so he puts a plan together and he says, I'm going to afflict them greatly. Look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, if you will. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to do what? 
To afflict them with what? Heavy burdens. And they built Pharaoh's store cities, Potham and Ramses. You can go to verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. <laughs> so here's the thing about it. Satan now, because he was in the garden too, not only are the Hebrew women waiting on the seed, but who else is waiting on the seed? Satan's waiting on the seed too. And he knows it's coming through this lineage. And so this is the reason why you see Satan always coming through other peoples and other leaders and nations trying to kill this seed. He's looking for him. And so he tries to, to weed them out through affliction and through oppression, but the more they were oppressed, the more Satan tried to press them, what did God do? Multiplied them even more. And he says, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And then verse 13. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. Now think about the culture they're living in here, because i got a lot of people here today that say, yeah, I just don't know if I want to raise a child in this culture. Jochebed wasn't scared to raise a child in this culture. She knew that if she could raise this child up to follow God, if she could raise this child up to be godly, this, this culture ain't nothing for a child of God. And that's the same that is true for you and I today. So don't be scared to raise no child in this culture. God knows what He's doing. But... She lived in a very scary time because after this happened, then they decided, well, if we can't get them by affliction and through oppression, instead we're going to start killing all of the male children. So Pharaoh tells the midwives, whenever these Hebrew women give birth, you take that child and you set it aside and you kill it. You let the women live, but kill the male, male children. But the Hebrew, wives, the Hebrew midwives, they feared God too. And as a result of that, they didn't do it, and God blessed the midwives. Then finally Pharaoh said, okay, I've had enough. And he told all of his people, all the Egyptians, when you see a male Hebrew boy, your job, no matter who you are, is to take that baby boy and throw him in the Nile River and drown him. And this is where we're at when Jochebed finds Moses. Now, it would have been very easy at this point because on the one hand, who wants to raise a child in a culture like this, right? I mean, you think about the oppression. I want to show you what Acts chapter 7 verse 19 says. Did I give you that one? Look at what this says. Pharaoh dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants. Now, think about what he said. He was sending his people around and he was forcing the fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. This is the kind of culture that they're having to raise a child in. Now how many Hebrew women do you think would have looked at it and said, you know what, it's just easier to just... Because if they find me trying to hide this child, what do you think the enemy is going to do to them? And so we look at this today, the courage that it took Jochebed to be able to do this. The same courage that it takes mothers today to be able to make a decision to, yes, I'm willing to sacrifice. Yes, I'm willing to, to put my life on the line. Yes, I'm willing to suffer if I must in order to raise a child in this generation, in this culture, I will do this. And so she's in a very, very scary time for herself and to be able to raise a family. But I want you to think about this. Here's the main point with this. You remember what she did? Instead of 
letting this child be found by all the Egyptians that are looking for this child, instead of being able to look and see that I don't want to raise a child up to be oppressed and afflicted with these burdens. It would just be better for this child to just go on and die now and not even have to live. And instead of that, she took courage. And a lot of people will say, well, yeah, but this was her baby. And what, what good mother wouldn't do this for their child? And to a certain degree, you would be right, but that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible didn't say, well, this was her baby and that's why she did it. The Bible says because she looked at this child and saw that there was something special about this child for the purpose of God. And because of that, she took courage. And for the kingdom of God and for the salvation of the world, she hid her child for three months is what the Bible tells us. She hid her child. She protected her child from the enemy when it would have been easier to just let them kill the child. And then here's what she finally learns in her courage. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 2, I think it is, somewhere around verse 2, it says that when she could no longer hide him, in other words, there came a point that with as much courage as she had, she could only hide her child from evil and from the enemy for so long. And how many of you parents here know today that you do your best to hide your child and to protect your child from the enemy? And you do your best for so long to try to, to shield their eyes and shield their ears and to protect them from the enemy and the evil that is in the world. But how many of you know there finally comes a point that you are not able to hide your child any longer from it? So what do you do at that point, mothers? What kind of courage does it take at this point? And here's what Jochebed does. She takes and she prepares a basket. And can you imagine... She's fixing to put her child in a river. Can you imagine the care that was taken in the preparation of this basket? I bet there's never been a basket made that was more perfect than this basket. She makes a boat, if you will, to put her child in. And she covers it with pitch and tar on the outside of it so that it's waterproof and it's able to float. And then she takes her child and she puts him in the hands of God. She says, God, I've done all that I can do. I've protected him as long as I can protect him. And how many of you know that she does not know what's fixing to happen to her child? Now maybe she has hopes in her head. We don't know. Maybe she's thinking to herself, well, Pharaoh's daughter comes here and bathes, so I'm just praying and I'm hoping that this is what happens. But does she know? She don't know. And so at the end of the day, the courage that it takes to love her child and to want to be obedient to God enough to put her child into the river and just push him off into the hands of God. And this is the same kind of courage that if you're going to impact your children the way that Jochebed impacted hers, you're going to have to finally come to a point to where you understand, I can't hide them from the world forever. I can't hide them from the enemy forever. You know, one of the things I've learned with my child, and I'm not saying this is the right way or the wrong way, this is just what I've learned. I, I can't protect my child from bad language. 
He comes home and he hears things in school or, uh, um, or sometimes that we try to monitor everything that he watches on YouTube or things like that. We try to know who he's following, what he's doing and things like that. But even still, there'll be a commercial or something that'll pop up. We'll just be sitting there in the seat. We'll go, what was that, Austin? And he'll look and he's scared with everything. It ain't me! It ain't me! It just popped up. And, and so, you know, you learn after a while, I can only hide my child from the enemy and from the world for so long. So what do I do? What am I going to have to be able to do to make sure that I make the best impact that I can? I make sure I'm doing everything and I'm taking the greatest care I can to put them in the hands of God. I'm, I'm, if the church doors are open... You know what I, where I want my kid? If there's a Sunday school available, you know where I want my kid? If there is a moment that... Now, I work second shift, so this falls on my wife most of the time. But if there's a moment that, that I can sit in the bedroom with him at night and, and just open a storybook Bible or even just the Word of God or whatever and I can share with him the promises of God and I can share the Gospel with him, I'm doing everything in my power and we're trying to do every and we need to do better at this. But we're doing everything in our power to put our kid safely. We're taking the greatest care we can to make sure that when we have to finally let him go, we have put him in the best care we can and we have given him to God. And the problem with a lot of us in our culture today is that we're more worried about sports. Somebody ought to said, oh me. You know, it's one thing that we decided a long time ago is that Austin, he had a good Christian coach last year. And I'm not saying his coaches this year are not good Christians. I don't know. But uh, we practice on Wednesday nights. Or let me say this, they practice on Wednesday nights. <laughs> we practice up until it's time to go to church. And we call Austin off the field. Is it because I think it's so important that, that, that that's what's going to save him? No, we're saved by, by, by grace through faith alone. Not of works. But why do I do that? Because I'm doing everything in my power to instill in Him that there are things in our life that have to take top priority. Top priority. And the things of God are those things that I want Him to learn that we take top priority. Don't try to make any of them other people feel like they're less Christian or less than because they don't shut down to go to church on Wednesday night. But I do try to make sure that my child is being raised to understand that, son, I'm not trying to keep you away from sports. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to, to have fun. God created this creation for us to enjoy and to enjoy Him forever through it. But at the end of the day, I want you to understand we don't worship the creation. We worship the Creator. Amen. And this is what I'm trying to instill in Him and these are the kind of mothers and fathers that it takes. And notice I'm focusing on the mothers today, but when you look at verse 23, it said his parents hid him. His parents did this. It wasn't just his mother. This was a team effort that they took. And it took great courage to be able to give this child to God and to put the best care she could into it as she is doing it. And let me tell you what she finally realized, I believe. She finally realized that the only way 
I'm going to be able to keep this child is if I give him to God. Because let me tell you something, if you give your child to the world, if you raise your child up to be the best sports, whatever they play, if you raise your child up to be the, the, the greatest worker in the, whatever field they're in, if they grow up to be the greatest uh, entrepreneur or businessman or woman in this world that they've ever seen, if they are the greatest success story in all of creation of man, and yet you did not give them to God and put them in the hands of God, let me tell you something, you'll never keep them. You'll lose them forever. The only way that you can keep your child is if you give them to God. And I really believe that's exactly what this mother finally figured out. Mothers, are y'all listening to me today? You've got to figure out that if you love your child, the only way that you're ever going to be able to keep that child is if you take the greatest care in you to make sure that you are giving them to God with everything in you. This is the first thing that we see in Jochebed is great courage. Because let me tell you something, this is, so, this is not easy to do. You know, this is not easy to do because I want my kid to be able to grow up and look back and say he got to enjoy baseball and basketball and football and I want my kid to be able to grow up and be able to say that, that um, he went to, and done this and this and enjoyed this and that and he was good at this and I want him to go uh, motorcycle racing on Sundays and I want him to be able to A, B, C, whatever. You fill in the blanks here. So it takes great courage. For you as a mother to be able to say, if I'm going to protect him from the world and I'm going to protect him from the enemy, then the best thing I can do is give him to God. That's my number one priority. And that takes courage. I could sit on this point all day. Let's move to the next point. <clears throat> this leads us into her teaching from the same verse. Actually, go to verse 24. We go into her teaching. He says here, and let me read verse 23 and 24 again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid. That's courage, right? They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Say, Brother Kevin, how do you know? Because the story tells us that she only had him for three months before she took him away. But the story also tells us that immediately Pharaoh's daughter found him and then called his own mother to come and nurse him. And then we don't know for how long that took. Some argue two years, some argue 12 years. We don't really know for certain. But here's one thing I know for certain. These choices that you're fixing to see that Moses made, do you think he learned them from an Egyptian raisin? The, um, the Bible... I'm so used to talking about the Bible. I'm fixing to tell you something that the Bible don't teach me. Statistics teach us that from the age of zero to five, that a child's brain can take in more and learn more and is capable of more at that moment in their life than any other age or any other time in their life. So even if it was just until he was just a few years old, 
The fact that his mother took this time to instill the promises of God, the gospel of God, the, the, the seed of God, and she's, she's pouring into him all the prophecies of old and, and what it means to follow God, that now he is able to make a decision here. It says that when he was grown, I love that part right there, when he was grown, he refused. That's a choice he made, right? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now here's the point that I want to get to before I, I dig into that any further. The first thing that she taught her son was this. you got to trust God even if it means you're suffering. you got to trust God even if it means you're suffering. See, the fact of the matter is this. We're all going to suffer in this world. Number one, we're going to suffer because um, we're living in a sinful, cursed world, right? And as a result of that, all of us are going to experience the suffering of this cursed world. Don't matter whether you're born again Christian or you are a worldly person, we all suffer because of the curse of this world. But then, as a Christian, you are going to suffer... I would say even more. Why? Because not only are you suffering the curse of this world, but now you're suffering the fact that you have an adversary that is specifically asking to try your faith. I love the books of Job and the, the story of uh, the apostle Peter um, and the way that Satan asked for them. The Bible tells us that um, the sons of God or the angels came to present themselves to God one day. And God looked at, because Satan was there among them, and he said, well, where have you been? Satan said, well, I've been going to and fro the earth. And you know, he goes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So he's seeking for someone to devour. Because again, he's looking for the seed. He hates the children of God. And so he's going to and fro the earth. And, and the Bible tells us there that God looks at him and he says, Okay, well, have you considered my servant Job? Now this kind of makes me look at God sometime and go, Why? Why? Why couldn't you have just said, Yeah, you didn't find nobody, did you? But that's not what he said. He said, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, Oh, oh yeah, I've been looking at Job, but there's a problem. I can't get to him. You got this hedge around him. But I tell you what, if you'll take this hedge away, he won't keep trusting you. He won't keep praising you. He'll curse you to your face. See, the only reason Job follows you, God, is because you've blessed him so much. But if you take all this stuff away from him, he'll quit trusting you. If you add suffering to his life, he will not continue to praise your name. He will not continue. And this is what all of our suffering comes down to. The Bible says in the book of Revelations that in that day, our great accuser, the accuser of the brethren, is going to be cast down forever. In other words, every time God, Satan stands before God, the point that he is trying to make to God is that those people you created that praise you, that you created for your praise, the only reason they'll keep following you is if you bless them. But if you take this away from them and you make them suffer, they won't bless you anymore. Jochebed here, she understands that to follow God will require suffering on her part. 
She understands that as he said, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he said, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Did you catch that? Not you might. You will suffer persecution. And as a result of that, we have to teach our children that there is going to be suffering in this world. I need Austin, I need my son to understand that as a Christian, you are going to suffer. And you are going to suffer reproach for following Jesus Christ. Why? Because the world hates God and hates His ways. And when you start going in opposition to the world and you're going against the grain of the world, you better believe there's going to be some resistance, right? And so here she teaches her son that if you are going to uh, be true to God, you have to understand that you're going to have to trust God through suffering, even if it means your life. She modeled this for her kids. She modeled it for them so that she was not afraid of the king's edict. In order to be obedient to God, she would suffer and she would give her life in order to follow God. And this is exactly what she taught her children. I want you to notice in verse 27 what it says and how I know that. Look what it says. By faith, He left Egypt, not being what? Not being afraid of the king's anger. Where did He get that from? Where do you think He learned that from? He learned that from a mother and a father that were not afraid of suffering in this world and suffering was not going to make them back down from following God. No, he welcomed suffering. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to enjoy the peace and comfort and pleasures of this world. He made a choice to deny the flesh. Why? Because he had been taught the promises of God. He had been taught the prophecies of God. And he wasn't just a churchgoer. He was a born-again believer of the promises of God. And this is the same thing I try to do to my son. When my son gets in trouble... And it, it happens pretty regular. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <clears throat> but when my son gets in trouble, most time there's, there's a paddling coming. Most time there's going to be a spanking. But then somewhere along the way, I like to sit down with my son and I like to share with him, Son, this is why we need Jesus. We're sinners. We have sinful hearts. We have hearts and minds that don't follow God. And unless Jesus comes into our life and pays for those sins, and unless Jesus gives me a new heart and a new mind and He teaches me His ways and He leads me in His ways, I always choose what is wrong and what is sinful. Every time. And I use those opportunities when my son is in trouble and when my son is suffering, I use those opportunities to keep preaching the gospel to him over and over again. Because I want him to be the kind of person that every time he finds himself in suffering or every time he finds himself in sorrow, in sin, in, in trouble or whatever it is, I want my son not to be the one that quits and goes, I just can't get it right. You know what I want my son to do during that time? I want my son to run to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jesus, this is why I need you. Yes. Yes. 
This is why you're my only hope. Because the suffering of this world can't even compare to the promises that you have given me through your word. And so as a result of that, I will endure suffering in order to be obedient to you, in order to follow you. This is what reminds me of Meemaw this morning. Meemaw, she, um, she's been going through a difficult time the last few months. Probably one of the toughest times in her life. And for several weeks, I would come in there, me and Chastity would come in there, we'd talk to her, and she would say, I'm just going to keep trusting God. I'm just going to keep trusting Him. I don't care what happens, I don't care what... what but, but then here's what she'd say. She'd say, but I'm just praying that He would go ahead and take me. She was suffering so much, she said, I'm just praying that God will go ahead and take me. And, and she would say to me, she said, I don't understand why He's not answering Him. I can't hear Him. He's not, he's not giving me what I'm asking for. And then the other night we went back in there, and she's sitting up and she's looking at us, and, and now she's got blood clots, and so things are beginning to go the other way again. She's suffering again. And then we come in there and she said, I know where I was wrong. And I thought to myself, I thought you were right. I mean, you were trusting God through your suffering. You were, you were proclaiming His goodness no matter what, whether He gives, whether He takes away. I'm going to praise Him with everything I got because He's worthy of it. And I know what I'm waiting on. I know what's coming in the future. But, she said, I know where I was wrong. I said, Mima, where were you wrong? Where, where were you wrong? She said, I wasn't waiting on God. She said, I was telling God what to do with my life. she had been reminded that her life belongs to Him. And if He chooses to let her suffer for the next 20 years, God forbid, she said, I will still trust Him. And when I heard that, that's when the example came to me that that's where I want to get to in my faith. I want to get to the place that no matter what suffering comes my way, I continuously look at God and say, I'm yours. And you can do with me whatever you want. You can honor me if you want, and you can shame me if you want. You can heal me if you want, and you can kill me if you want. At the end of the day, whether you give or whether you take away, I trust you. And this was the heart of Moses' mother. And this was the heart that got passed on to Moses. That I belong to you. I'm going to follow you whether you give. I'm going to follow you whether you take away. You think about, go to my next point right there on your list right there. My next point says, It is far better to be an outcast in this world for following Christ than to be loved by this world for following it. Now you think about what it meant for Moses. He could have been accepted by the entire kingdom of Egypt as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What do you think that means for him? Everything. And yet, he refused it. He refused it. He could have likely been one of the next in line for the throne. And yet, he refused it. 
He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And instead, notice what he says next in verse 25. That first word says, choosing. He made a choice rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. His mother taught him that the promises of God that I'm instilling in you as I give you to God and I'm teaching you and I'm throwing the gospel at you and I'm telling you about the goodness of Jesus and and what our hope is in Him and how great our inheritance is in Him. And Moses so had that instilled in him that he looked at all the treasures of Egypt, great as they were, and he said, I don't want it. You can keep it. He looked at the throne of Egypt. He said, I don't want it. You can keep it. And he made a choice to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures that were available to him in Egypt. And so I want you to be able to see that it is better to be an outcast in this world by following the Lord and staying true to Him and His promises than it is to enjoy any passing pleasure that is available. Next point. <clears throat> we'll speed this up. <clears throat> or let, me, let me look at this right here. It is more valuable to suffer reproach. Reproach means this. Shamed by the disapproval of others. It is more valuable to suffer reproach for being a Christian than to enjoy everything this world has to offer. Reproach. And how many of you know that there is a reproach for following Christ? I know that in um, places where we have worked before, me and my wife both, in order to follow God and stay true to God and not participate in things that other people were doing, in other choices that they were making, in order to make decisions to follow God and be true to Him, we became outcast. Matter of fact, there are many people today that would probably look at me and say, I'm stuck up. It's not that I'm stuck up. But let me tell you something. If you're not walking the same path of obedience to Christ that I'm walking, we ain't walking together. It's that simple. I'll still love you. I'll still minister you. I'll still go out to eat with you from time to time. But we ain't yoking up and we're probably not going to be... No, not probably. We're not going to be best friends. If I'm close to you... Church, listen closely. If I'm close to you, it's because you're walking the same path I'm walking. It's because you put value on the same things that I put value on. And if you don't do that, then I'm likely to become an outcast to you in some way. And this is something that that Moses' parents had taught him in this. You know, I thought about some of the things that we have to be able to do in this world to, um, to be able to refuse What does this look like in our life to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? And here's some of the things that I said. There are certain TV shows that we don't watch. Let me say that one more time because I don't think the people in the back heard me. 
There's certain TV shows we don't watch. Is it because we're holier than thou and so much better than anybody else? No, it's because it don't honor God. And I don't want to, and this is something that again, we got to get a lot better at because I'm not as good at it as I need to be. As a matter of fact, I was convicted as I wrote this down. But the fact of the matter is, I need to get in my heart that if it don't bring honor and glory to God, and if it don't honor a godly lifestyle, it don't belong in my life. I don't care how good the storyline is. Because I've said that. How many of you said that? Oh, but the storyline is so good. But it magnifies and honors an ungodly lifestyle. Do you see that? So there are certain TV shows that you have to choose not to watch. There's certain music that we listen to or don't listen to. Again, this is the one that got me. This one that got me. Because see, I'm one of those people that um, with my child, again, I can't hide him from everything, so I just try to teach him. I say, son, listen, some people say, talk this way. We don't talk that way, and I'm raising you not to talk this way, and here's why. Because I believe God, and here's what I believe from Him. And this is the way I do it, and even with the TV. Sometimes if we're watching TV, and how many of you know that you can't even watch a commercial today without a bad word coming up on, on the TV? And so I'll sit there and I, instead of just trying to shield him from everything, I'll look at him and say, Son, listen, there are some people that they talk this way, but this is not the way a Christian talks because it doesn't honor, it doesn't glorify God. And I do think that's a good way to do it. But one of the areas where I'm failing miserably at is that because of some of the games that he plays and the apps that he gets on, it plays more worldly music, even if it's the clean version, Right? And he may be able to sing you the lyrics to Old Town Road before Jesus loves me. I'm not saying he can, I'm just saying that's a possibility. Why? Because again, I'm not, I'm not doing the, the job that I should do it, raising him up to make sure that he's refusing to be called the son of... that he's willing to suffer reproach that he's willing to deny himself certain TV shows and certain songs because they don't honor God and they don't glorify God. Are y'all following me this morning? And this is where we're failing in a lot of places as parents. We're not raising them in a way that honors and glorifies God. We're not teaching them to refuse, to not just be a churchgoer, but to believe in the promises of God so much that I'm going to follow Him because I'm looking to the reward that is to come. That's what it said in, in the Word here. We'll keep reading it here in just a minute. But there are songs maybe we don't, we don't listen to or we don't sing. There are words we don't use. There's games we don't play. There's jobs we may not take. There's drinks we may not drink. There's people that we don't yoke up in relationships with. There's events that we don't participate in. There's sports or travel ball that we don't do. Why? Because I'm trying to teach my child what it means in our culture to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. To suffer the reproach and be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures. Notice the key word there, passing, right? It's not going to last. And if I don't eventually learn that if I can't give my child to God... I'm never going to be able to keep them. If I don't figure that out, I'm going to lose them. 
I'm going to lose them forever. And so we have to be willing to understand and teach our children that it's far more valuable to suffer reproach for being a Christian. Yes, our children don't like it. I know I've got children here today, grown adults here today, that were children that can witness and testify to you that in school they were outcasts. In school, they had to suffer reproach. Why? Because they didn't walk the same path all the other friends and people were walking. They didn't talk the same way. They didn't drink the same things. They didn't watch the same shows. They didn't listen to the same music. And as a result of that, they had to suffer the reproach of Christ and be mistreated with the people of God. But it was worth it. But it was worth it. The last point. Her impact. I'm skipping over a little bit. If you've, got the, if you've got your outline, you can go back and look at the rest of it. Her impact. She was allowed to nurse Moses. She was allowed to raise Moses for somewhere from 0 to 12 years of age. We don't know exactly how long. After that, she has to send him back to the Egyptian palace. She has to let him go into the world. Any of y'all parents had to do that lately? She has to let him go into the world. <clears throat> After she lets him go into the world... She has done all that she can do to raise him and to teach him the things of God and to instill the things of God into him. And even though she has to send her children out into the world in terrible times and terrible cultures, do you know what happened to all three of her children, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses? They all became mighty servants of God. Mighty servants of God. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying that just because your child does not become a mighty servant of God means that you failed as a parent. But can I say that it could be true? Can I say that this morning? Can I say that it could be true? That if, if our children do not grow up to be that, that maybe we didn't put as much into them as the way that Jochebed and Amram put into those kids. It could be true. Let me show you an example of it. Micah chapter 6 verse 4. I want you to see um, who is given credit for the um, salvation of Israel. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you who? Moses and who else? See, we always look at Moses, right? But you need to understand something. It wasn't just Moses. It was all of Jochebed's children. All of them. Let me show you another scripture. Um, look with me at um, Acts chapter 7, verse 35 through 36. And I'm coming to a close, so I'm not going to keep it just maybe two or three minutes. My two or three minutes may be like ten minutes, but you'll get used to that. All right? This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer. Do you see the impact that Jochebed made on the world? Because of the way that she raised her son. He became both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him at the burning bush. Go with me now to... Um, <clears throat> let me show you another one. Exodus chapter 16 verse 2. And I'm skipping some of them here. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. It's the last one I'll give you. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, this is when they're in the wilderness, alright? The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against who? Moses and Aaron. You know why? Because Aaron 
was Moses' mouthpiece. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were all three used in this entire redemption journey. And I really believe that it began with parents like Amram and Jochebed and the way that they raised their children up to be willing to suffer reproach, to, be, to understand that the promise is good. You know, that's what we don't spend enough time on, parents. We spend a lot of time on memorizing Scripture, and don't get me wrong. That's good. That's the reason why I am who I am today as a preacher, and I know the Bible, because I was brought up and the Scripture was instilled in me. But we don't spend enough time talking to our kids about the promises of God, about the inheritance of God, about the ones that are actually children of His and what they are going to receive as they follow Him in Jesus Christ. We don't spend enough time talking to them about looking toward the reward and being able to refuse all the things here and now because our, our vision is fixed on what God has promised in the future. And that's something that I would recommend you be able to do as a parent. And I want you to understand it's the same way that you can impact your children today. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Last verse. Lord help me. Did I say last verse a minute ago? Oh! I lied in the pulpit. Mm. Alright, maybe this is the last verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says to Timothy... I am reminded of your sincere faith. Timothy, he impacted the world too, right? For the gospel. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first where? In your grandmother, Lois. And then it dwelt where? In your mother, Eunice. And now I am sure dwells where? In you as well. Mothers. Fathers, but Mother's Day is today, so I'm talking to you. You don't know the impact that you are going to have on your children, for good or for bad, when it comes to the kingdom of God and the world. You have a chance today to make the kingdom of God top priority in your life. And you have a chance today to look at an example like Jochebed and be able to follow the example that she followed. And then you have a very good chance. Now we're all sinners. We're all individuals, right? But still you have a very good chance at raising up children that when they are grown and you send them into the world, they become mighty warriors for the kingdom of God. And let me tell you something. There ought to be nothing in here that would make a parent more proud than to be able to look and see that their child is impacting the world for the kingdom of God. And there is nothing more important. Mothers, have the courage to protect your children today from the enemy by giving them to the Lord and taking all the care you can to make sure that you're instilling the things of God in them. Teach them by your example to trust God through any suffering the enemy tries to send your way. I'm telling you right now, your children need to see that when you suffer in this world, whether God gives or whether God takes away, your children need to see you in the house with your hands raised saying, God, you are still good. I trust you. 
I trust you. And I know that one day, even if you take from me, there ain't nothing you can't give back to me. And even greater. You remember, that's why, God, I wished I could quit early. I can't. Help me, Lord. Help me. This is the reason why Abraham was not scared to sacrifice his son Isaac to God. When God asked for His only begotten Son, Abraham said, Come on, Isaac, time to go. It wasn't because Isaac was a bad kid. (laughs) No. Here's what the book of Hebrews tells us about Abraham. Or maybe it's Romans. I I think it's Romans. But he said, The reason why Abraham was willing to do that is because he knew that God had given him Isaac from the dead anyway. (laughs) He shouldn't have been able to have no kids. His body was good as dead. And so if God can give him his son the first time from the dead and he asked for him, I can give him back to him in death and you know what God can do? God can give him right back. In other words, God, I trust you no matter what you do in my life and your children need to be able to see that kind of trust in you. And when your children see that, you'll be instilling a faith in them that will go with them throughout all eternity. Mothers, I love you. I hope you've learned something today that you can apply to your life. Maybe if the Lord convicted you of something, maybe this morning is the morning you say, God, like, I, like I've done already when I was writing this. I said, God, help me. <laughs> help me, Lord. And maybe this is a good time for you to be able to humble yourself and say, God, I need you. Help me to take such care in raising my children for you that they become mighty warriors for your kingdom in this world.